Welcome to the Rising Sea Voices podcast on the American Shoreline Podcast Network. Here you will discover and learn from the new generation of coastal, estuarine, and ocean scientists and engineers. My name is Felicia Metashot, and I am the Rising Sea Voices host. Today, I will be talking with the CEO and founder of Black in Marine Science. That's really exciting. But before starting today's episode, I would like to offer a land acknowledgement. I live and work in Vancouver, Washington. This land has been cared for and called home by the Chinook Indian Nation, the Kaolitz Indian tribe, and the Chinookan, Tainapam, and Kilikitat peoples from Tami Memorial. In the 1800s, the Tainapam Indians were relocated to the Kaolitz Reservation, where their descendants still live today, while many of the present-day descendants of the Kilikitat people are part of the Yakama Nation. The land where I live holds great historical, spiritual, and personal significance for its original stewards. However, there is still no federal acknowledgement of the Chinook Indian, Chinook as an Indian tribe, and the Kaolitz Indian tribe had to wait until 2000 to be officially recognized by the federal government. I recognize and continually support and advocate for the sovereignty of the native nations in this territory and beyond. Despite centuries of communal theft and violence, this is still indigenous land. It will always be indigenous land. Indigenous people are not relics of the past, and their talents and knowledge are worth celebrating. Today, my guest is Dr. Tara Moore, and I'm going to give a short little, you know, introduction and bio as usual. So, originally from Greenwood, South Carolina, Dr. Tiara Moore completed her Bachelor in Science in Biology in 2011 at Winthrop University in Rock Hill, South Carolina. She received her Master in Science in Biology with a concentration in Environmental Science in 2013 from Hampton University in Hampton, Virginia. Dr. Moore earned her PhD in Biology from UCLA, where she conducted research in Moria, French Polynesia, Carpinteria Salt March, and Re- Upper Newport Bay. In Morea, she observed the effects of sedimentation and nutrient pollution that they have on the proliferation of coral reef microalgae. Dr. Moore is currently a postdoctoral scholar at the Nature Conservancy, where she uses environmental DNA, eDNA, to conduct community biodiversity assessments. Inside and outside of the lab, Dr. Moore hopes her research in biodiversity will translate to increasing the overall diversity in science. She dedicates her time to mentoring minority women in the lab and after school programs. She is also the founder of a workspace in Black and Marine Science. And many more other things, I'm pretty sure, is like not a complete list. <laughs> Hi, Tiara. How are you doing today? Hello, hello. <laughs> um, it's always so funny when I hear people read my bio. I'm like, dang, I be doing the most. <laughs> <laughs> And still, you know, I could have been reading like pages and pages, you know, based on everything you've been doing. That's amazing. <laughs> you know, thank you so much. Thank you so much for um, the invite, for the acknowledgement. I would also like to acknowledge the Uchi and Cherokee East people on whose land I reside um, in Georgia. And thank you for making that um, a staple in your podcast. Yeah, no, thank you. It's really, yeah. I think it's really important. And thank you for doing that as well on your end. <laughs> of course. Uh, and uh, yeah, so you did a lot of stuff. <laughs> but, <laughs> but okay, I this is to... my favorite podcast already. <laughs> you did a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you started somewhere. So I'm always curious. I always ask my guests, you know, where did you start? And who ended you up in that field? Oh, man, that's always <laughs> such a great question because I always wonder, like, do we want the sad, troubled childhood story <laughs> or or do we just start at undergrad? You know, where do we where do we go? Oh, uh, you can start from, you know, whenever you're comfortable <laughs> and what you want to share. It's up to you. Um, yeah, I think about it. So, I mean, um, so I was raised with my grandma. I'll start there in, in South Carolina. I was born in Philly, but we moved when I was young, like around... Uh, too, so I don't remember it. Um, and then, yeah, so, you know, I knew I wanted to go to college. That wasn't something that, you know, anyone else in my family had done at the time. 
Um, and so it was like, okay, I'm going to be different. I'm going to make it out of here. <laughs> um, and at the time, uh, you know, when you were going to college, I think for me, it was like, okay, you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer. Um, and so when I started undergrad at Winthrop University, I actually went um, pre-med and I thought I wanted to be a pediatrician. Hmm. And I realized <laughs> while I was there that I actually didn't like kids like that. So it wasn't going to work <laughs> out. So I was like, dang, what am I, what am I going to do? Um, but I didn't really want to change my major. I'd taken all these courses. So I started just looking around in biology in general um, just to see what was available. And so I started taking these lab classes and field classes. And there was this one class called um, like tropical ecology or something like that. And I only signed up for this class because they were going to Costa Rica for spring break. <laughs> so I was like, ooh, free trip, of course. Um, so I was very excited about that, you know, going to Costa Rica. Um, but then I got there, you know, we're on a boat. We're collecting water samples. We're doing these experiments. There are scientists there that are teaching us all these different things. And I'm just like, whoa, like, is this a job? Like, are y'all like paid <laughs> to be on vacation right now? Um, and it was like, yes. And that's really when I... I think understood what marine science was, marine, what marine science could be as a job. And I think someone with my background um, as a black woman in the neighborhood that I was in and this, the, my, I don't know, my family's history, marine science wasn't something I saw as a career. You know, I do remember like watching SpongeBob. Like I think <laughs> that that was my connection, but it wasn't like, oh, you can go and get a job in this. You know, they'll pay you and fly you to different countries to do research. You know, you can become a scuba diver. You can do all these different things. Um, and that was something that wasn't real to me until that trip um, at Winthrop. And so I definitely say I'll, every time I talk about it, you know, it's this life-changing experience. So I came back from that trip excited, like, oh, I'm going to be a marine scientist. Yes, let's do this. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I, I had to finish school, of course, and then it was time for me to apply for graduate school. And so when I was thinking about graduate school, um, I had went to Winthrop, like I said, which is a PWI or a predominantly white institution. And so mm -hmm. while there, I heard about um, HBCUs or historically black colleges and universities. And so that wasn't something I had, was familiar with. And so I was like, oh, wow, like what if I went to an HBCU for my master's for grad school to get a different experience? Um, and so, you know, I went searching for HBCUs that had a marine science program. I didn't realize how difficult that would be. Um, and then I actually found one at Manhattan University. Um, and so, you know, I wrote, applied to the school, put in my personal statement, like, hey, I took this one marine science class, but please, please let me in. I want to do this. I'm a good student. And they actually did. And that really was Another, you know, life-changing moment, someone giving me a chance to go into now grad school program. Um, I found an advisor who was doing water quality work in the Chesapeake Bay. Um, you know, I walked in his office and was like, hey, will you be my advisor? <laughs> and he's like, okay, okay. You know, he, of course, you know, asked me to read some of his papers and write what I wanted to do. But it was just a very welcoming experience. Um, and, yeah, he's a, he's a great guy, super good ally. I still talk to him to this day. Um, so that was a good experience at Hampton. Um, and so, yeah, I got my master's. Like I said, I was interested in trying to understand how like human and nutrient pollution in the estuary um, was affecting water quality. In the Chesapeake Bay, they have these, you know, huge algal blooms where they'll get all this algae plankton at the top of the surface water and it'll consume all the oxygen. And that could lead to really harmful and impactful things in the ecosystem like fish kills. Because if you can imagine if something's at the top consuming all the oxygen, then there's no oxygen at the bottom for the fish. Mm -hmm. um, and so that could be very dangerous, uh, especially in the summer months in the Chesapeake Bay and areas like, you know, along the coast, the Eastern coast, Virginia. Maryland, things like that. So that was an interesting experience. And that's where I really became, you know, a scientist. That's where I was like, oh, okay, I'm doing this thing, y'all. Um, and so from there, my advisor just had this random opportunity. He came in my office one day and he was like, hey, do you want to go to Indonesia and become a scuba diver? <laughs> And wow. I was like, I was just like, wait, what? <laughs> what do you mean? And then, of course, you know, it turned to something larger. It was he had been, you know, asked to be a PI on a grant, and they were trying to get, you know, 
underrepresented folks, um, international research experiences and opportunities to become divers, just because that, you know, most divers is diving is a predominantly white field. Um, mm-hmm. So this was this literally like targeted event to, you know, go to HBCUs, basically find black folks, <laughs> take them out of the country and make them scuba divers. Um, and I thought that was really cool, even though, you know, I definitely knew how to swim. I had went to the YMCA as an after school program growing up and I remember swimming there, but I wouldn't say, you know, I was out in the ocean <laughs> swimmer. I don't mm-hmm. think I ever thought in my life I would be a scuba diver, but I was intrigued in like, how can you turn down an opportunity such as this? And so, you know, there was a whole application process. I had to like, you know, write, write an essay and all this. Um, but yeah, I was selected. And that was another <laughs> life-changing moment where <laughs> I became a, a PADI recreational diver and then a AAUS scientific diver. And what that means is that you can handle equipment um, underwater. You can, you know, use a camera. You can take notes. You can do surveys. Um, basically, you can do any type of science that you need underwater. You have uh, additional certification and training for that. And that's mm-hmm. just something that, as a marine scientist, is super beneficial. If you can imagine wanting to go out and collect samples, you don't have to hire a diver to collect them. You can just go get them yourself. So you're saving right. money. Um, so it's just, yeah, just something cool to have in my back pocket <laughs> for sure. And then to say, you know, on top of that, I had I got to go to Indonesia while I was there and we dove on the coral triangle almost like three times a day, just doing all wow. these different cool experiments and just observing these beautiful, magnificent reefs. Um, I saw the most beautiful colors, the most beautiful fish, the most weird looking fish, <laughs> the scariest looking fish. I remember um, you know, eels and things popping out and just looking, they their mouth, their mouths just hang open and it's like so scary. <laughs> oh, but yeah, that oh man, such an amazing experience for sure. Um, diving anywhere. You've been able to to bring back then the, this experience to continue, you know, next your your studies because after you you went back right to the yeah. US and you decided to to continue and that stuff, you know, because <laughs> I I got my PhD too, and sometimes I'm like, whoa, that that was something. So <laughs> that was something. So yeah. So and then my PhD story is. Huh, not as straightforward as I as I would have liked. So it's an interesting story. And I think that, you know, things just work out. And I think since I'm talking to students and undergrads, I'll be transparent. I don't tell this story too often, but I'm feeling like it today. Um, so the program that I did, the diverse the diversity program, um, you know, did that. They also were in partnership with you, the University of California. And so we did tours at the University of California at different campuses. And then at the end, we found out that we qualified for a Scott, like a fellowship if we wanted to continue to do our PhD. So basically, if I decided to go to a University of California school and applied and got accepted, I wouldn't have to worry about my funding because I had done this, this program. So mm-hmm. that's awesome for anybody to hear. Now, imagine me, I'm living in Virginia. I'm living like, what is California? I probably had been there once, maybe, <laughs> for a <laughs> random trip. Um, but I had also already applied and got accepted to Old Dominion University. And so mm-hmm. it was like, oh, while this is a cool idea, you know, I already have my PhD plans. So I didn't apply to the University of California. I went ahead to ODU um, in the oceanography department. And <laughs> baby, <laughs> though, <laughs> I'm talking about if struggle bus was a person, like it was such a hard time at that, in that program, in that it's when I, I think, so here's the thing. I went to HBCU, which is, you know, a predominantly black school, but mm-hmm. the marine science department and my particular advisor was white. So there was only one black professor in the marine science department. So I was used to being around white people in marine science. And I realized that the field, that's what it was. It was predominantly white. I didn't have a problem with it. Um, but when I got to ODU, it was the same situation, you know, predominantly white department, me, only black person there. 
Um, it wasn't like that in Hampton. At least we had other black students. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was like, I wasn't welcome. It was just like this weirdness, like, ugh. <laughs> like it just felt cold. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so I had to acknowledge my part in it. So there was this class, uh, dun, dun, dun. the class that <laughs> took my heart, physical oceanography. So in the oceanography department, there's like four branches of oceanography. Oh Lord, let me see if I can remember. It's biological, physiological, physical, geological and chemical. So right. my major was chemical oceanography. So boom, got an A in that one. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> biological, geological, all good. Physical oceanography, C. I got a C in it. So in the apartment, you have to get a B or better. So then they allowed me to take it again, C. <sighs> so yeah. then, so then, I um I end up having a situation where I go and talk with my advisor. Like I talk with the cha- you know dean of the apartment or all this and that, and they're like, oh, if your advisor will let you stay, you know, we can figure out you know, some type of plan of action. So my advisor, we didn't have the best relationship. So it was like, oh yeah, this isn't going to work out because I was trying to get a new advisor. Mm-hmm. So long story short, I ended up getting dismissed from this program because of this situation with the, with the class. Mm-hmm. And I think it was really devastating for me for sure. But I think it was also like, I definitely didn't even have support in the department. And I tell the story, I actually wrote a blog about it. It's like when I had taken the class for the first time and the second time, I never really could get support from the class. And I remember specifically there was this time where I had like gotten my test and knew I had worked hard. It was like, dang, I'm going to do good. And I still didn't. And so I was checking with another student and saw that we had similar answers. So I was like, whoa, what is going on here? Like, why am I getting stuff wrong? And this was like huge amounts, like 20 to 40 points difference on my test. So that's like enough to fail. Um, and so there was this one time where I like mustered up the courage to like ask the student, you know, to see if I could take their paper to show the teacher. Because mm-hmm. it was just weird. Like I said, as the only black person, like they barely really talked to me like that. So it was like, hey, this is me sticking my neck out asking for a favor. So the student was like, oh, well, I'll go with you to show her. So the student comes with me, shows the differences, and the teacher literally takes their test and marks their paper wrong. And like looks at them and like, are you happy now? Like she looked betrayed. Like, how dare you come in here with this girl and try to tell me I'm wrong? So needless to say, nobody else defended me after that. And I was just on my own. And I and I told, you know, the dean and all these things, this story, but like they didn't care. And honestly, it really worked out for me to get dismissed from this program. So that's what happened. I was there for a year and a half and then it was just over. Like, dang, I'm not going to get my Ph.D. Mm-hmm. Luckily, while I was at Hampton, I had met my really be- really good friend, um, Camille Gaines, Dr. Camille Gaines now. And she did that diversity program with me where we went to Indonesia. And she had accepted the opportunity to apply for the grad school at the University of California. And so I hit her up and I was like, girl, I just got kicked out of school. <laughs> like, what's up? What you doing? And she's like, oh my gosh, no. You know, she's like, oh, my program is actually going pretty good. You know, you could see if you still qualify for that fellowship and maybe you could come to UCLA. And I was like, how am I going to get accepted to UCLA when I just got kicked out of school? (laughs) Like, what do you mean? (laughs) Um, And so I found out two things and I'm going to be very candid. Money is very important. (laughs) Yeah. So when you have your own money... (laughs) Yeah, you have power too. Yeah. A lot of other stuff really doesn't matter. And mm-hmm. your personal statement is very important. So while I had the situation at ODU, I was able to put in my you know, personal statement like, hey, this is what happened. This is what's real. And then I was also to reach out to the people that who I had did the program with who were, who were professors at UCLA to get them to vouch for me. So developing relationships is also important because, I mean, I worked with them for a couple of months over the summer. And really hadn't kept up over that year I was at UCLA, I mean, at ODU, you know, maybe here or there. But they still mm-hmm. remembered me so much from that summer program that they were willing to vouch for me. It was like, oh, yeah, of course, we'll write you a letter. And I was, I was like, hey, I just got kicked out of school. They was like, oh, it's fine. Everybody deserves a second chance. I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, they had me believing in myself again. I was like, wow. Oh. So they were like so supportive. So I'm like, I'm saying that it's like people, you know, take lightly of these summer programs, these, these things. It's like, no, you're actually making connections. Every time you do anything, you open your mouth, you're making a connection. You're 
networking. Somebody's going to remember you. And so those was really important. And then, like I said, it wasn't so bad that they weren't really taking a risk because I had my own money because I did still qualify for that fellowship from the diversity program. So I had that coming in. So that was also helpful. So those three things. So I ended up, long story short, I got accepted to UCLA. <laughs> so I got kicked out of this, you know, random school, I'll call them now, to be accepted to the number one public school right. in the US. <laughs> so boom, bitches. <laughs> this is what I got to say to that. Okay. <laughs> I, how you like me now? Um, but anyway, so I went to, I went to UCLA. Um, and yeah, so I, I did the, the PhD there and my research was, um, similar to my master's, um, but looking in more shallow estuaries in Southern California and we had nutrient pollution, um, in these algal blooms, but instead of phytoplankton, it was macroalgae. So you can imagine, um, like, uh, seaweed. So if you're all ever, if you're in Southern California and you're listening, you go out on the water and you see these green mats and it looks like grass and it's floating that's the macroalgae that we have there and so I was just trying to see how that impacted the water quality um in these estuaries and then while I was doing that I started becoming interested in like what was actually in these different ecosystems and so that's how I got into using um, environmental DNA or eDNA to conduct these biodiversity assessments. So basically you can scoop up some dirt, air, water, um, and extract the DNA from it. And basically it'll tell you the animals or the species that have been there. Because, you know, as we're moving through the ecosystem, we're shedding stuff, we're shedding <laughs> skin, <laughs> cells, you know, pollen leaves, all that has genetic information. And so it can be captured in a sample. So yeah, that's that's what I was doing down there at UCLA. That's and pretty then... cool. <laughs> no, Thank it's pretty cool because also like eDNA is I don't know, I still try to wrap my head around that because you can see what actually is living there, but I guess also what is visiting, right? Right. Exactly. Mm. And that's what a lot of folks, you know, do have questions about, like, okay, is it was it there? Does it live there? Did it just pass by? Did the wind is it wind blown DNA? Um, mm -hmm. So there's, you know, definitely things to account for, but I'm just more amazed at the fact that I can collect a water sample or a dirt sample and find this information versus right. usually, you know, people set up camera traps. They're out there mm -hmm. all day waiting for animals to walk by doing surveys, but you don't have to do any of that. You can collect the sample and just take it back to the lab. So it's, it's really cool. And I've seen also during that time, you went to travel again to a tropical area, right? Did you yes. go to, yeah oh man you're so lucky <laughs> <laughs> i mean you went through enough you know like shit that i think you know it's totally you know the reward <laughs> right exactly exactly so yeah i did another research trip to the Maria french polynesia trip and oh that was awesome <laughs> <laughs> like it's really hard to get mad about having to scuba dive all day. You know, I can't complain because it's like, oh, I got to put on all this equipment. I got to do all this. Oh, <laughs> it's so much work. But it's so much fun, you know. It's it's so worth it. Um, and then just having these experiences in different countries is just awesome, you know. Um, and then being able to interact with communities, you know, experience different cultures that's, that's, yeah, you can't really, you can't really beat it. And I'm there for work, you know, so I'm getting paid. They've paid for my travel. It's just like, yeah, you can't, you can't ask for too much more. Yeah, no, that's, no, that's awesome that you had this experience because I wish, I mean, after some people are pretty nervous when they go scuba diving, and I guess it's not for sometimes everyone, if you're like really, you know, in panic and, but if you have the chance to do that, I mean, when I could scuba dive, because now I, I cannot anymore because of health issues but oh. I feel like I was flying you know I was feeling yes. this sense of freedom and just oh. floating around and just you know flying and so peaceful there um yeah mm -hmm. I would agree I would say it's my favorite it's definitely my favorite thing to do I mean nobody can talk to you <laughs> you're just <laughs> you're just chilling man you're just chilling so it's a it's really and like you say you're just floating along 
You really don't even have to move your arms. Mm-hmm. You can just use your little fins and just float about. Look at the fish. <laughs> look at the bubbles. It's it's awesome. And I think, you know, there is there is some fear. I know when I, I'll be honest, when I first started, I was so glad we started in the pool because, mm-hmm. man, I thought I was going to die. <laughs> I, I did not trust the equipment. I did not trust the instructor. I did not trust myself. <laughs> and I freaked out for sure a couple times where I would just like come up to the top and be like, ah! gonna drown and they're like girl you have on an oxygen tank just breathe baby and I'm like oh dang you right you right um so I say all that to say even if you are fearful and even if you do almost think you're gonna drown the first couple times you can't get past it because that was one thing I stuck it out you know because I was very nice. intrigued even though I was scared I stuck it out and now I mean I dive without thinking about it I dive with equipment I dive you know there's some hiccups here and there, of course, mm-hmm. sometimes yes. <laughs> there could be some stuff that happens. You know, you'll kick off your somebody, you'll be diving with somebody and they'll kick off your mask or your regulator will come out and you're like, oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but yeah, other than that, it's all right. Yeah. And that's a good point to say, you know, like giving a shot if you can, if you have the opportunity to do that. And uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I was one of the lucky ones, but I was like, oh, okay, you know. I'm I'm going, you know, <laughs> just get right. my phone and and I'm off, you know. But um, yeah, no, that's that's cool. And after, I wanted to know. So you got your your PhD, so that's you know mm-hmm. such a big achievement. Uh, that's you know I think it's understated, and sometimes we don't take the full appreciation that we got the PhD, and after we're like, oh, what's next? It's like, no, you know, <laughs> we got a right. PhD. That's a big deal. <laughs> Wasn't uh, that enough? Dang. I know. (laughs) I know. And after it should be, um, so you continue to do some work, right? Uh, Then on eDNA. And it should be cool if you can, so share that with us. And also, um, is it going to be still, you know, in the marine environment or you switched to a different environment? (laughs) Yes. So eDNA. So I was talking about it a little bit, but I also like to explain it. Um, like, um, oh man, like, cause everybody likes crime shows. And so, you know, you'll be watching a crime show and there's a criminal who does something and they'll like, you know, touch a door and then the detectives will come in and say, oh my gosh, we got the fingerprint. We know whose DNA this is. We know who it is now. <laughs> and that's again, because, you know, as we're moving, we're always leaving genetic information. And so everything does that. Plants um, will leave, have leaves, pollen. Um, skin cells, fur, all of that has genetic information and that falls to the ground and can be collected in a soil sample and a water sample. And so me as a scientist, I can go out, collect that sample and tell you what's been there. And so I was actually doing that in the marine environment and I was at a conference where I was presenting my research. And that's something that's really important um, as folks in the science world going to conferences and talking about our research. Um, and I was talking about eDNA and using these, you know, biodiversity assessments or like for senses of their ecosystem. And somebody came up to me afterwards and was asking me about the project. And then they said like, oh, well, could you do this in a forest if you wanted to know like the biodiversity, you know, in a forest ecosystem? And I was like, well, yeah, you know, it would be the same concept. You would change the methods here or there, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and so they're like, oh, wow, sounds cool. Uh, could you do it? And I was like, um, but I'm a marine scientist. You just saw my talk, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I'm working no force. And so they was like, but you know, you just explained the methods to me. You just, you know, it's just basically similar to what you was doing. And I was like, oh, wow. And I thought that was really interesting. And then I just became intrigued by the project, intrigued by the conversation. And I think for me, it was a turning point, I think, especially as a graduate student, where you've worked so hard to become this one thing and you think that's all you can do. Mm -hmm. But really, I had a lot. I had learned a whole transferable skill. We pick up so many transferable skills that we can take with us and really apply to anything that we want to do. Um, and so that was what I took from that moment. And then also, you know, I was a point where I was looking for jobs. Um, and this was at a place where I really wanted to work. So I was like, yo, why not, man? I can work in the forest. Like <laughs> I can go collect some dirt because I was working in sediment before. So we mm-hmm. had wet dirt versus dry dirt. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
yeah, I ended up, you know, moving up to Seattle to be at the University of Washington and then ultimately the Nature Conservancy. And yeah, that's what I've been doing there, um, using eDNA to understand their restoration efforts. So there's this huge forest, basically, that was clear cut because folks like to cut trees down. <laughs> for some reason, <laughs> you know, we got to make paper and stuff. <laughs> we got to build things. Um, so that happened. But then, the, you know, the Nature Conservancy purchased it to be able to restore it. And they wanted to plant all these trees back. So you can imagine in a forest, if you cut down all the trees, you'll lose the biodiversity, the organisms. They will no longer have a habitat, no place to live. So they'll leave. So when they plant all these trees back, can we see these organisms come back? Also, can we get an understanding of the soil health? Because soil health is really important when you're thinking about planting trees because for healthy trees, you need healthy soil. Um, and by understanding these biodiversity of these ecosystems, we can get insight into both of these things. Can we pick up deer, bears running around in the forest again in their DNA just by walking on the soil? Can we get insight into the fungal and bacterial community inside the soil to get an identifier of what's healthy or not. Um, and so those are the questions that we're I'm doing in my project. I'm hoping to answer. That's amazing. So you, so when did you start doing that? Because I assume, you know, you had basically kind of like a baseline where you have nothing there. And after they start the restoration effort, and that takes for, I mean, a long time, I feel like, I mean, of course, some things are going to come back faster than others, but how do you set up your your experiment? Yeah, so that's a really good question. And luckily in the forest, so we have areas that are still clear cut. And then there's also pieces of like the old growth area. And then in the middle, if you could imagine like a straight line, um, we have the areas of restoration. And as you mm -hmm. said, they didn't do it all in one year. So there's like year one plants, year two plants, year three plants, year four plants, year five plants, year six right. And so they're at year 20 now. And so oh, wow. I just came in now and just took samples at all of it. <laughs> just took all, you know, at every plot at the different years and took collected samples around those areas. And so using the data that they already had as my metadata in my um, experiments to be able to hopefully disentangle the differences between these different areas. Nice. And I guess, you know, by also comparing with the areas that have been protected, like, you know, the old growth forest, you can see, mm -hmm. you know, on the path, like I were going, you know, the right way or, and, but still there are so many changes happening over time and cycles that it's, I don't know, it looks so complex, but so, so interesting too. Like, how can you see, um, you know, changes happening and yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think that's just the beauty of this method is really just you get so much data because you mm -hmm. get a whole basically ecosystem of what's there. And then any, you know, differences you can, you know, test them across the differences of, you know, your treatments and things. And so hopefully that'll be able to give us insight as to if there's any changes. Is this a healthy ecosystem? Is there not? And I think, you know, by using the literature, we know which organisms indicate healthy soil versus which don't. Right. No, that's great. And so who do you work with, like for, you know, those data, you have so many data and <laughs> that's, I cannot even wrap my head around that. Like it must be like so much, but after, um, who is going to use these, you know, information and to make what kind of decisions you think? Yeah, so hopefully it will help to inform restoration and these types of projects because I think this is something that we're seeing. I mean, every time I mean, we're thinking about climate change and climate change mitigation, that's all you hear is plant trees, plant trees, plant trees. Right. And nobody's really thinking about the soil conditions of these trees because you can plant a thousand trees, but if you plant them in health in unhealthy soil, yeah, they'll they'll they will help to sequester or store carbon, but it won't be as much as if you had planted these trees in healthy soil conditions. So that's something that's really important when you really think about, I guess, the mechanism of carbon storage and how that works when you're thinking about specifically climate change uh, mitigation and climate change. Um, what's the different word for that? I don't know. 
changing climate. You know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you impactful. mean, but I cannot find the word too. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to. <laughs> Try not to use like jargon and stuff. I'm like, how can I get break it down to this? But you know, <laughs> to prevent climate change, to prevent climate change, to try to decrease things that we've seen, basically carbon dioxide reduction. So if mm-hmm. we know that trees store carbon. And there's a lot of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. That's great. But again, if you plant plant a bunch of trees and they only grow so much because they're not in good soil, then you just wasted a whole bunch of time. You didn't store a bunch of carbon. So if we started looking at, you know, potentially the molecular level of these storage, these soil communities, how much more could we do? And then we also know that healthy soil in general would store more carbon. So when if there's a carbon problem, then it's it would be beneficial to understand. Um, what the soil conditions are. And so again, when we have organizations that are dedicated to these types of restoration, then this this data could be very insightful. Yeah, no, I agree. And also, um, I just thought right now of like the soil condition, for example, I, I know some professors who have been doing some work on Mount St. Helens. And after you had the eruption, it's like basically there was nothing there. And I think there are also some plants, right, that I can help making the soil ready for, mm-hmm. you know, the next generation of plants or new plants that can come in as well as, um, you know, fauna and other, yeah, and so forth. Yeah, there's fungal communities that are indicators mm-hmm. of healthy soil. And then there's also some now that you can indicate of, of unhealthy soil. So that's what's interesting about doing these biodiversity assessments because you get a whole look at the community so you can see, oh, wow, what's actually there. Yeah, and... And now I'm I'm curious because you've been going from the marine environment to <laughs> I said, you know, forest and <laughs> what's what do you want to do next? I mean, do you want to stay in that field or you're like, no, I need to uh, go back to the ocean? <laughs> yeah, look, it's the ocean for me, sis. <laughs> it's the ocean for me. Yeah, I'm not a forest girl. <laughs> we can we can go ahead and say that. Um, you know, I had fun in the forest for the time I was supposed to be in the forest. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm done with that. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I think that asked, answers the question. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I think my next steps are are actually black and marine science. This is the perfect time to talk about that. <laughs> I know, and I don't want to put you on the spot. It's like sometimes they're like, yeah, you know, you know, yeah, you, you see what goes next. And uh, <laughs> yeah. but uh, and I'm wishing you, you know, the best for that, but you can, you know, go back to do more research in the marine environment if it's what you want to do. So for sure, we'll leave it to that. And we can now, you know, perfect segue to talk also about everything else you've been doing, you know, on the side of your full-time work, which is, you know, you did other full-time jobs on the side of your full-time job. So, so we can talk, you know, about, you know, I don't know where you want to start because you've been, you know, create, you've been the founder of a workspace, Black in Marine Science, you have your own podcast. Uh, um, I don't know. And I'm sure I'm missing other things, things I probably don't know. So, yeah. So I don't know what you want to start with. What came first? Chicken or the egg? Let me see. I think a woke space was first out of all those things you mentioned. A woke okay. space, my baby. So a woke space, okay. Um racism, sexism. <laughs> that mm-hmm. let's start there. So I think for me, um, I mentioned briefly that you know, marine science is definitely predominantly white field. This is not me being biased, this is facts. Um, the field is predominantly, I think, 85% white, less than 2% of PhDs in marine science go to black people. Those are the numbers. Um, and I think as me being who I am, you know, I just wanted to be a marine scientist. As I talked about that trip to Costa Rica, as I talked about my experience um, at Hampton, it got a little weary at ODU, but it was picked back up, you know, with my experience at, at um at UCLA, even though that's when I started noticing some things, I'll, I'll say. So now I started noticing a bit more racism at UCLA. Um, but, and I just happened, oh, maybe, you know, I just thought like, oh, maybe it's because I'm a student. I don't really know. But after I graduated, you know, became Dr. Moore, earned my seat at this little table they had been talking about. And I still wasn't treated like I belonged. You know, I still was I experienced all these weird, you know, I hate calling them a microaggression, so I just say aggressions. P- 
people would like question me or like ask me to go get coffee and stuff like that. It was just these weird experiences um, that I had. And I was like, oh, is this because like, is this racist? Like, is this because I'm black? Like, why? And then it's also, it's like, oh, is it because I'm a woman? Like, you know, so that's that that intersectionality piece that, that Kimberly Crenshaw talks about. Like, you don't know. I just know that this is mm-hmm. happening because of something. Um, and so, uh, luckily, I had my colleague, Camille, that I talked about earlier. And she was doing a postdoc at the time at an Ivy League school. And I asked her, and we were having a conversation. And I was like, Camille, like, what is this? Like, this is so weird. Like, what is happening? And she was like, yo, T, like, I've been having these same experiences. Like, Why? Um, and I was like, oh, this is something that's, that's prevalent. You know, this is something that's happening. And I think that's where the idea, the idea for a woke space came shortly after we went to a conference. It was a marine science, one of those marine science conferences. And at the time there was a lot of, you know, interest in diversity in STEM and they would have these, you know, trainings that they would make folks go to. And so I remember being in like some diversity program and they made us go to this diversity training because they always make the diverse people go to (laughs) diversity trainings. Like, can we just, can we take a minute to dead that? Like I I can, I could promise y'all I'm not the one who needs the diversity training. Like damn, (laughs) I don't know how much it needs to be said. Stop this. But I digress. But I'm gonna pick it back up because again, I was a part of this diversity program. They made it. They made it was a requirement of the program. But anyway, so I'm in this diversity pro, you know, diversity training, and of course, it's being put on by this white man. And, you know, I'm just like, what is happening? And he's giving these hypotheticals and this weird stuff, and I'm just like. Oh Lord, is this is the diversity training that's happening? I understand while I'm having the experiences I am. Like it all makes <laughs> sense now. So anyway, he gets to the end of his training. And I kid you not, I actually talked about this in a, a stand-up because sometimes I do like science stand-up because life is so rough that I just make a joke about it. Like <laughs> so I talked about this and dude, he gets to the end of his training and he's like, you know. Diversity is hard work. You know, it's a, you know, you have to work on it or something. He was like, yeah, cause to this day I'm still working. He was like, oh, (laughs) he was like, just the other day, a big black man walked by my car and I locked my doors real quick. And I was like, oh my goodness. Why would you say this, sir? Like how, how is this happening at a diversity training? So people, you know, I'm seeing people taking notes and writing stuff down. And so I raised, you know, raised my hand to ask a question. And I was just like, hey, sir, like, you know, you said you're still working on your own diversity journey or whatever. You still locking your doors with black people. So how do you how do you know this training that you're giving here works? You know, what are the metrics? What is the what is the reason? And he literally looked at me in my face and he was like, well, I mean, nobody's asked me to give it to him again. So I figured it worked. And I was like, you know what? You know what I said to myself? I looked over to my homegirl. I said, girl, we could do these trainings. <laughs> that's, that's literally that's literally how it started out. And a woke space started off because there was a call for another marine science conference and they were asking for, you know, people to submit workshops. And we said, hey, what if we created an actual diversity training that was based on the experiences of us? You know, it wasn't these weird hypotheticals that was never going to happen. This was shit that happened to Tiara more directly. This was stuff Mm -hmm. that happened to other women of color directly that we knew about, that they could could speak from their heart and put a face behind and put a story behind. What if we actually did that and then created metrics and actual steps for people to be better active, uh, active bystanders? to be better allies, to become advocates? What if we empowered women of color to no longer continue to take this abuse by utilizing our stories to basically say, hey, this is happening? Because that's one thing I saw really a lot with a lot of my white colleagues. They were saying, oh, I didn't even know I did anything wrong. I was like, oh, oh, really? Huh? Interesting. So you slamming the door when you saw me walking in. You didn't, oh, okay. (laughs) 
So you mispronouncing my name again. You didn't. Oh, okay. You know, so stuff like that. But once you called it out and actually said, hey, no, my name is Tiara, not Tiara. Every single time. They don't, they don't call me that night wrong anymore. So I was like, if I can't advocate for myself, why would I expect anybody to advocate for me? So a woke space is truly the culmination of us saying no more. And we're here to take up space. We're in this room. We belong. You're going to treat me like the person that I am. And we're going to empower other women of color to do that. And then we're going to train you to treat us better. And so that's what we've done. So we created an LLC where we can actually get paid for our time because they love, they love for the black and brown people to do stuff for free. No, 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 no. This is my time. <laughs> this is my time. This is my story. This is my life. Um, and we, we, we don't, we don't work for free no more. That was, no, we don't do that no more. So, but it's also it's not BS. You know what I'm saying? Like they were so willing mm-hmm. to give money, you know, to, to, to the, to the white folks who do these actual programs. And when there is no methods for him to even know if his program was working and he admitted he's still scared of black people. So it's like his training was not even doing any good, but they're paying to bring him to conference after conference. So right. what if we pay for training that actually worked? There's a budget for it. So let's put it in a place where we can actually be beneficial. And so that's what we've done. So we've been actually invited to several conferences since then. I'm very um, grateful for that. And people have been, you know, sharing our work, talk, telling us that it's been helpful, um, you know, following up with us. And so that's really all we can really hope for. And I think I know for the women of color, I think I know it's impacted them more you know folks tell me like yo like I stood up for myself or like oh I got that race we were talking about in our meeting because we also have like we also have like a virtual safe space where we have like events and we'll have community check-ins and let's come in and like vent do all this stuff um so yeah woke space is definitely um really got me to I don't know believe that I could actually stay in science because I think at that time I was like, yo, I could actually go and make TikTok videos. I could work at McDonald's at this point because this is not what I signed up for. And I was really ready to walk away from the career that I had spent literally like 20 years trying to get to at that point. Um, But then, yeah, a woke space gave me the community and the confidence and the solace because I was talking to people and I wasn't crazy anymore. Like I was talking to these other women of color and they was like, yes, sis, this shit happened to me too. And I was like, oh my gosh, for real? Oh, yeah. And it was like this weird sadness, but happiness that it was like you could relate to somebody versus, you know, people just telling you like, oh no, this doesn't happen to me. Oh Mm -hmm. no, he he never did this to me. And I'm like, what? Am I making it up? Like what, what? You know, so that's what I was going through. But I finally had a place that was like, oh, sounding board. Okay, we can fix this now that we know it's happening. Um, And so I think because I had already built a woke space, black and marine science was easy. <laughs> <laughs> As I say, it's the most uneasy thing I've ever done. Black and marine science is definitely turning into one of my most prized possessions for sure. Um, just as an idea as a thought, as a manifestation, as an organization, as an experience. Um, It's the best thing that I feel like I've ever contributed to in my life, for sure. Um, It's, I think for me, it's so impactful because in 2018, I literally wrote an op-ed called The Only Black Person in the Room. Mm-hmm. And at that time- I read, I read it, yeah. Oh, oh that's how oh, thank you. <laughs> And at the time, you know, I talked about my experience as serving on um, one of the Marines, one of the Marine Science Society's board of directors. And I was elected to as a student board member. I was there to represent the students, but I was only also the only black person on the whole board of directors. So while I thought I was representing the students, you know, every time anything, any issue of diversity came up, it's Tierra. Oh, Tierra, what do you think? Oh, what do you think? I'm like, what? I'm here for the stu- I'm here to get drink tickets for the students, okay? I don't know about this diversity thing like y'all are old, y'all are supposed to help me. Like I'm in school, you know, like but I realized that I didn't have that that privilege. Like I had to be there and stand up because if there nobody because black people weren't brought up. And if I didn't have if I didn't make up the event, it wasn't going to be an event. It wasn't going to be something. And I was like, "Oh. Wow." And I just I felt as a black person, I had failed at some point. 
um, at, during my time on the board because, you know, it didn't get any better. <laughs> they stuff was still, you know, it was really white. I think we did get our first black, yeah, we got our first black plenary speaker out of this organization that had been in existence for all this time. And we we're just now having a black plenary speaker. Um, and so while I felt like, you know, there was a, a, a bit of a, maybe a little bit of a needle move, it was like, dang, I didn't realize to the end how much more I had the potential to do and how much I could have done as a student. Um, but then also like, why did I have to be the only one doing anything? Like <laughs> this is a whole, this is a whole thing. Um, and so looking now to knowing, you know, that such an isolating, lonely experience to now having a whole community of black marine scientists running a whole nonprofit dedicated to increasing participation of black marine scientists to amplifying our work. It just gives me so much pride, you know, so much joy to know that I came from such a lonely situation thinking I was the only black person in the room. And the whole time there were all of these rooms, all of these only rooms with just one of us. But guess what? There's a thousand rooms. And now mm -hmm. I've connected those thousand rooms with one of us in each of them. And now we have a huge community of folks. And so maybe, yeah, we're still in these jobs. We're the only person, but we know we could text, we could call, we could email, we could tweet. And there's somebody right there. And that just, is is I couldn't I couldn't have even imagined that I would have this um when I wrote that article. I couldn't I couldn't have imagined that. And yeah, you should be definitely proud of it because I've seen uh I followed actually a little the a workspace um, back then yeah. when you created it and followed mm -hmm. the blog and I think even attended, you know, an event and and after I saw when you started Black and Marine Science and you and your team have been doing so much amazing work and it's crazy to think of where it started and where it is now and also a pretty short right. amount of time too, you know, um, because yeah. it's going to be, what, a, a year, right? Yes, a year this yeah. month, yes. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so, and it's, yeah, and we can talk about Black and Marine Science Week. It's it's really, really soon. <laughs> Black and Marine Science Week. So Black and Marine Science Week last year is where we got our start. And just from the first day, we had the BIMS roll call. And that's where we said, hey, if you're a Black Marine Scientist anywhere in this world, just introduce yourself. And when I tell you, we had like 200 something folks introduce themselves. I was in my house crying. I was like, oh my gosh, where did these people come from? Are you serious? Um, it was just so eye-opening and just so awesome to see all these people introducing themselves. Um, and then we just had, you know, the rest of the week. And we actually raised $20,000 during the week wow. um, to support the event. And I was like, that's when I really realized the magic and the power that we had as a community that other folks had um, as far as supporting us. And that's when we decided to uh, form a nonprofit. Um, and since then, we have raised so much more than that, <laughs> actually. We raised enough to actually have, you know, to pay, um, to pay fellows, um, to have folks uh, working for us, to pay our speakers, to pay for our content, everything, to basically run the operations of the organization. Uh, we are largely supported. have to shout out uh, the Packard Foundation, David and Lucille Packard Foundation, who gave us a huge donation of support, a grant. Um, to help us with our, our organizational structure. Um, but so now we're planning Black and Marine Science Week 2. It's going to be November 28th through December 4th of this year. Um, everything is going to be streamed live to our YouTube channel. So I'm very excited about that. Um, so you don't have to, you know, worry about registration and all those links and stuff. Go to Marine Black and Marine Science. I mean, so youtube.com slash black and marine science anytime during the week. There's gonna be content there, something's gonna be going on. Um, but then we also released our calendar of events on our website. So if you go to bims.org slash BIMS week two, and there's our calendar with all of our programming. Um, but yeah, we have so much panels, keynotes, workshops. We're having a dive class. We have four students that are going to be getting dive certified during the week. I'm so wow. excited about that. <laughs> yes. We're partnering with Patty to help uh, fund that. Um, what else? We're, we're doing a new initiative called BIMS Reads, where we're having um, some uh, 
black marine scientists who are author who are also authors read books that they've written so we were going to have i'm excited about um alexis pauline gums reading undrowned um which is a book basically where she takes a black feminist perspective to marine mammals so it's just pretty cool um also dr jeanette davis is going to be reading her children's book um sciences for everyone so yeah we have that we're also going to be having bim's care and this is something that is really important because we've all just the pandemic racism Mm -hmm toxic work environments and so we really want to highlight mental health and self-care so we're actually going to be having a therapist come in to answer questions for the BIMS community we're going to be having a trap yoga class (laughs) 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 so basically hip-hop yoga um yeah so yeah stuff yeah and then um yeah and then also just yeah the therapist is going to come four days and then we're going to have that trap yoga so we're going to have a highlight on mental health as well so yeah, there's a lot of stuff. We have a whole day dedicated to youth empowerment. We have a whole day dedicated to grad students and grad school. Um, what is it? A whole day dedicated to ocean justice. A whole day dedicated to scuba diving and water and hair and how to take care of natural hair and water <laughs> conditions. Oh, and then I'm very excited because on Saturday, we are having the first annual BIMS Ball. <laughs> it's oh, an all- hey, hey. Yes, it's an all-black <laughs> affair. It's my version of the Marine Science Met Gala. So <laughs> we're going to have, but there's going to be music, poetry, um yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be a event you won't you won't want to miss so tune in everybody's invited to everything everything's gonna be on our youtube there are gonna be some events where we do say okay yeah you can come in the zoom room um but again we want everybody just on the youtube so you don't have to worry about links and things like that and this plus we know people are zoomed out so you can watch it on youtube oh that's awesome and well i'm amazed that it's like a really packed you know week and oh yes. you're adding so much more compared to last year that's amazing yes. and i'm like <laughs> what what next year is gonna be <laughs> exactly no, oh awesome. oh also i have to say we confirmed today um dr monica cox will be doing oh. a personal safety workshop so she is always you know she has the stop playing diversity hashtag and really talks about how to basically thrive as people of color in these toxic environments so she's going to be doing a workshop during the week as well and i'm so hype about that we are twitter besties and i knew she would come (laughs) through for me and she did so i'm excited about that oh man that's awesome and also i i wanted to tell our audience that you have also uh, youtube videos like through the year and that are accessible to either more like for kids or you Mm -hmm. know for you know let's say adults um like versions yeah and i've seen some of them and they're they're really fun and also they're short so they don't take much time mm-hmm. for people to have a, <laughs> at least you know basic ideas of those different topics so yeah a bim's yeah. bite as we call it a bite of marine science mm-hmm. yeah so i wanted to yeah tell the audience also check that out and that is going you know year-round so yeah yes please do check that out Feel free to follow me on Twitter um, at Curly, C-U-R-L-Y underscore scientist. And then my podcast, We Dangling. So W-E-D-A-N-G-L-I-N. It's really just me talking trash with my best friend. <laughs> but <laughs> I do have a science moment on there where I try to like bring bring a little bit of science into the episode. <laughs> no, that's great. And thank you so much for taking the time to, you know, chat you know with us and share your story and in the middle of this crazy busy you know week of you know to getting ready for black and marine science on top of everything else but yeah thank you so much it's been awesome to uh chat with you and to hear you know you sharing your all your you know accomplishment but also you know successes and and challenges too so thank you for that and um yeah i'm wishing you the best for you know the coming black and marine marine science week but also for what will come for you in the future and i really hope you the best and i'm sure good things will come your way thank you <laughs> thank you so much for inviting me mm-hmm.